You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. Technology and Society with Aki Anastasio. How's it, Aki? Hello, Eusebius. A very good morning to you. How are you? I'm extremely well, my friend. How was your weekend? Oh, it was okay. It was okay. Just, um, yeah, it was just okay. It was just... Uh, um, okay is okay in the year 2020. No, you we know can't what? dismantle it was... racist uh, edifices and dealing with a pandemic. I think okay is winning. Yeah, you know what... Um, it was. It wasn't okay. I mean, it was. It was actually quite painful, to be honest with you. Um, and you know, just uh, you know, just just watching what was going on on television, and it was just very painful, you know. Yeah. And um, I also, you know, you 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 often talk about um, an author called James Baldwin. Hmm. Um, so I actually was, um, you know, reading up about, about his, his work and, and downloaded a couple of his books, which I'm going to start reading, which awesome. I've started a, a couple, but what he's an incredible, he writes incredibly beautifully. And there was a, a movie over the, over the weekend that, um, I started watching, which I haven't finished watching. It was, it was quite painful. I mean, this whole process is really painful. You know, mm-hmm. what, what you're watching on television, what's going on in the world, it's just really, really painful at the moment. It is, and we are called upon to decide how we're going to respond with silence, with indifference, annoyance, or whether we're going to get our hands dirty and be part of the solution. And uh, what's great is to see many examples of cross-race and cross-class and cross-differences, solidarities, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's the toppling of a statue in England, whether it's, you know, White allies on the front line of marches in the USA. They are excellent examples of what happens when we put aside our differences. And I think we're called upon in this moment to seriously answer the moral question. Will you turn a blind eye or are you going to get involved? Yeah, well, listen, absolutely. That is, that is the question. Whether or not things will actually change is another question. Sure. Um, and whether or not authorities, um, how authorities react to this is another question. I mean, we've, we've seen evidence of the president of the United States going to hold up a Bible at a nearby church next to the White House where protesters were tear gassed so that the president could get there. Um, so, so you have to kind of question and say, well, is there going to be much difference after this? Yeah. That's true. And like you, I'm skeptical because if you've been around the block a couple of times, you could take a long view of history. And we've had many crises that we have wasted before that could have been opportunities for fundamental and irrevocable change in the world. But the good news, Aki, you know, we say it often, the pandemic is another. And when we were talking about the maths models and what they predict in terms of how much of a disaster we will experience, whether or not disasters will pan out as predicted, is a function of what we do right now, right here. So it's always important to remember we have agency individually and collectively, and the march of history is not inevitable. It's dependent on the choices we make. No, absolutely. No, you're 100% right. Um, Will technology aid us in that way, though? Well, that's uh, a very good question. That's a very good question because one of the things you and I have paid attention to over the last couple of weeks um, is precisely whether technology is intrinsically illiberal or whether it depends on what law enforcement authorities do with it. 
Yeah, and this is the very interesting question. This is the topic of our discussion. And next week, I hope to, for us to get an expert in from Los Angeles who is uh, an activist in this regard that we're going to be talking about today. Because when you look at what's been happening, not not just in the U.S., but what's been happening in Hong Kong, anywhere in the world where there are you know enforcement authorities, right now what's happening in the U.S., the Drug Enforcement Administration has been granted – a new sweeping authority to conduct COVID surveillance, they call it. They are collecting intelligence on people that are participating in protests over the uh, killing of, of George Floyd, as we know. So so they are gathering a lot of different data right now. And, you know, uh, it, it's very healthy to have a healthy democracy. It, it's critical that we have protest happening. But when the police are using the data and how they're using the data, the law enforcement uh, agencies, how they are requesting the footage and the images and what they are doing with it is the scary part. Now, right now, I can tell you that what has been happening in the U.S., and it's no secret, I mean, there have been drones that have been flying. They've been using facial recognition cameras, and one might think that, well, if you're wearing a mask, the facial recognition camera isn't necessarily going to recognize you. Well, you're quite wrong there. The technology already exists that they can recognize you with you wearing a mask over your face. Um, they are intercepting and reading text messages for example. So there's a lot of these things that are happening. This, they're conducting covert surveillance on protesters. So the question is, what is going to happen with this data? And, you know, you and I have spoken about the facial recognition and it, it can be used to good for criminal activity and, you know, stopping criminals and getting surveillance on critical evidence that you might need in an investigation. Mm. But in the circumstances that we've seen over the last few days and what we have seen in the past happening in Hong Kong, for example, and how the government has intercepted messages, it kind of leaves me um, in two minds whether or not the technology is there to help us or whether it is to be against us as citizens where we are exercising our democratic rights to protest. So what happens? I mean, how is this kind of data even stored? Well, they're storing it in, in these massive, uh, you know, servers and it's there. It's accessible. They can, they can look at your photograph and mm. they can look, they can pu pull up your CBS's photograph okay. and they can scan across every single incident that they found Eusebius. And if Eusebius was at this march, if Eusebius has a traffic violation, if Eusebius was walking on the park one day with his dog, they will pull up all of that information that they have that information about you. Mm. And, and that for me is, is really, really scary. And, and, you know, is this a society that we want to live in? Um, that you have the authorities using these tools. Can they use them against us? This is the big question. We're not saying right now that they are going to be using it against us, but you know, we have the right to question it because we, we want to know how these technologies that are deployed. Yeah. How are they being used? I really want to know how they're being used. Yeah. Do you do you know how they're being used? I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. I'm still worried about these and darn you know, things we see around even here in the suburbs, uh that pop up every now and then. What were those Vuma trackers or whatever they were called? Yes. Um and we never closed the loop on discussions around that in terms of whether my privacy rights and whether the right kind of regulations uh, in terms of industry standards are being met. And, uh, you know, you've got a discussion like this in the news cycle, and then we all kind of move on. And and what bothers me, Aki, is that when it comes to authoritarianism, 
There are very few societies where you woke up one day and you were in an illiberal authoritarian state. There is what historians often refer to as authoritarian creep. It creeps up slowly behind you like mm. Akimite mm. late at night. And that's what you got to then ask yourself is what are the red flags? And the reason I was really, really chuffed when I saw this is the focus of technology and society today is because this is an example of the importance of red flags. A certain tendencies within a state, a surveillance state, a big brother state, it's not going to draw attention to itself, particularly when its formal nature is a democracy like the USA or South Africa or Germany. But it is about these red flags that as citizens we've got to actively be looking out for. Absolutely. And the other thing that we haven't even touched on is that there's a bias. The algorithm is biased towards certain race groups. There's no doubt about that. Hmm. And the accuracy of the information that is, 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 it goes through the algorithm. They did a, an independent analysis recently in the UK. They found that 81% of, of, of people that were flagged by the algorithm were actually not on a watch list. So when you have something like this happening and you have an, in a, you, you're accused of something that you haven't done, hmm. then it becomes even more problematic. So the, the reality is there is no way for us to know how the technology is being used or which law enforcement departments have access to it. Yeah. But right now, we do know that it's, you know, they are scanning people's faces, they're collecting a lot of data about people that have been protesting. And it's very interesting to see, you know, there are two different apps that uh, have come to light as well. I mentioned that, you know, authorities now can intercept uh, your, your, your conversation. So if you are in a protest and you send me a message, they have the technology that can intercept it. And it's quite interesting. In the U.S., for example, um, in the last 10 days, the, 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 the uh, Google App Store and the Apple App Store have noticed a significant increase in two different apps. The one is called Signal, and Signal basically um, is kind of almost like a networking tool that mm. hides you, makes you anonymous and you can share information amongst other people as to where you are, what's happening, where the police are, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and the other one, of course, is Telegram, which does a very similar tool as well. Um, and what they've done is they've even, you know, if you exchange photos within the apps, they even allow the users to blur out the faces in the photographs mm. uh, so that you can't capture the screen and send it out because mm. we don't know amongst the protesters if the protesters are real and authentic or if it's law enforcement 100%. agencies pretending to be protesters as well, which is the other thing as well. Absolutely. So they've seen a massive sky, uh, 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 spike in those two specific apps, Telegram and Signal, um, because protesters are using mm -hmm. this to, to, to kind of um, you know, get yeah. together and, and make the protest more accurate. Okay, let's squeeze in a quick call and then we'll leave it there for today. Paul, how's it? Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. What did you want to ask okay. or say? Um, the, the, what you're talking about, the subject is is a dot metric system, right? So on every face, there's 20 dot metrics that you need to take. And there are pros and there are cons. We see the pros being children being, uh, for example, that Madeleine McCain case that happened years ago, if there was a dot metric on her face, it doesn't change as you get older, it is always exactly the same dimensions. Mm. So that's the pro. The con is the, what's happening with um, with these marches, which yep. I personally believe that it's it's about time they happen. And why are they arresting people for marching? I mean, 
it's a democratic right. That's Absolutely agree with you, Paul. And that's the point, isn't it, Aki? That yeah. they are very, I mean, technology is morally neutral. It's what we do yes. with it that's important. And for me, that's the lesson that I take away from the work that you've done in, on this subject so several times in this slot. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Simpson. Just one last one. I got a, a, an email from Zodwa last week asking me uh, that, uh, you know, Zodwa says that she's got a tremendous amount of photographs stored on Facebook. She wants to close her accounts. How does she get all the photographs of Facebook so she can keep them? Because we, we store all our photographs there. We don't necessarily have them on our digital devices. So Zodwa, what you can do is it's pretty easy. If you click on the uh, top right-hand button of the Facebook page, you'll see a little arrow. You point the arrow down and you can you can actually find under the, your tools and settings a, a place where you can actually download all your photographs and all your personal information that you have on your, on your Facebook profile, even the likes and the things that you didn't like and all the posts that you've made. So just click over there. You can transfer a copy of your photos and your videos and all the information, and you can put it up on the Google Drive, for example, if and then you can delete your account. So you can get your photographs of Facebook. They've made this tool available in the last couple of weeks for everyone to use. They were testing it in some countries around the world, but now it's available globally. So top right-hand corner, just click over there and uh, click on that arrow, click settings, click on Facebook information in that column, and you can click on the button that says transfer a copy of your photos or videos.